Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here at South Suburban on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name's Patrick, and my wife, Lanitha, and my three kids are here with us today. After this service, we would love to have an opportunity just to meet you and say hello. And uh, so right after service, I'd love to invite you guys just to join us over at the Fellowship Hall and give us an opportunity to shake hands and a couple of high fives and hugs at the last group as well. So uh, whatever floats your boat, we'd love to uh, be there with you to do that. So I told my daughter that um, that I was going to sing for you guys today because I wanted to see what kind of a reaction I would get. And she knows I'm not a singer. And so you guys, the only time I really sing is uh, I wake them up every morning by singing because it's the best thing that gets them right out of bed. And so uh, we, we know that's true, right? Um, so I won't be singing today, but I am excited about being able to share from the Word of God. And today I'd like to take a moment to look at the life of Simon Peter. And it's easy for us to look at stories like the, this and be able to place ourselves above the character that we're talking about. But I want to challenge you guys today to place yourselves right beside Simon Peter as we talk about this, um, th- this life that Jesus was developing inside of him. And so really, if, if you've ever struggled with selfishness or if you've ever lacked consistency in your life, or if you have ever battled the feeling that somehow you let God down, then Simon Peter's story is for you. I love his story because it's, such, it's, it's just a beautiful reminder of God's faithfulness to us. And it's also, it's a great example of how sanctification in the life of a believer is a process. We're becoming like Christ. That's what we're called to do. So his story is my story, and it's your story. And I want to take a moment here, if you guys would just bow your heads, and we're going to pray as we dive in this morning. God, we thank you for the love that you have for us as your creation. We thank you for your grace, for your faithfulness to us in our walk with you. And God, we take a moment right now just to invite your Holy Spirit to speak louder and clearer than any other voice that we may hear this morning. God, we ask that your word would come alive to us and in us today. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Well, what was it that Jesus saw when he looked at Simon? What could he have possibly seen or noticed that would have given him confidence or even hope in this man. By nature, Simon was brash, he was impetuous, and he was undependable. He tended to make great promises, and he rarely followed through with them. Whatever Jesus saw, one thing is for sure, Simon was no rock. But that is the name that Jesus called him. So how could that be? How could Jesus see something that wasn't even there yet? Names are important. They're they're meaningful. And some names have a rich history behind them. Some names have a promising future in front of them. Every one of us were given a name at birth. Scripture tells us that God has a brand new name for every one of us as well. When my wife and I were naming our kids, we... uh, we, we made a big deal out of it. I know a lot of people make a big deal out of it, but we wanted it to be a significant thing so that we would be speaking something over their lives 
from the very beginning. We wanted their names to be very meaningful and significant. And so we took time like everybody does and, you know, we narrowed the list down. And typically we, this was kind of our agreement that we would, we would narrow it down to a couple of names. And when we laid eyes on our child for the first time, whichever one felt like it, that's just who they were. That was the one that we were going to, going to go with. And it worked good on our, for our first child. Uh, but our second child, uh, in between the contractions, my wife looked up at me and she said, I get to choose. <laughs> and I said, that's fair. <laughs> that is very fair. Your names, they are important and they're meaningful. But you're not limited or defined by an earthly name. You can be sure that when, when Jesus looks at you, he sees something that may not even be there yet. And that's the story of Simon Peter. Now, psychology tells us that we develop what's called a learned association, and that's when you, you learn to associate things when they're found together on a regular basis. So, for example, salt and pepper, peanut butter and jelly, fall and football. You put those things, you see them together a lot, and so you, you, these are learned associations. However, sometimes we begin to associate things that don't necessarily belong together. These have been uh, come to known as stereotypes. So you have dumb jocks, you have ditzy blondes, and you have long-winded preachers. And those are just things that they don't necessarily go together. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. When it comes to our identity, we tend to pull from things around us that we spend time with, and it's called an identity imprint. If we begin to associate with things around us, then we begin to associate their identity with us. And our parents said it this way, you start acting like the people that you hang out with. How many of you guys have ever told your kids that? You start acting like the people that you hang out with. Oftentimes, we tend to associate things with ourselves when those things weren't who God created us to be. So we actually start to become what the world around us is imposing from the outside instead of who God has created on the inside. Now, my kids will sometimes pick up what, um, what my, my wife will call their school funk, and that is that they'll come home with an attitude that they picked up at school. And parents, you can relate to that, right? You've, it, it happens. I've, I've heard my wife a couple of different times um, when I walk in the door. I'll, I'll hear her talking to the kids and say, I want you to go back outside and I want you to dust that off because that's not who God created you to be. But you know that kids will bring something home. Guys, we all bring something home. We bring things home. We start to associate those identities with us. And early in the first century, Jesus met Simon, and Simon was, was in this boat. He was searching for significance, and Jesus called him to become one of his followers. But when Jesus looked at him, he actually looked into Simon, and he said, I know this is who you think you are, but I actually created you different than this. So in John chapter 1, verse 42, you hear Jesus say, you are known as Simon, but I have called you Peter. It's absolutely fascinating. Jesus changes his name. 
changes his name, gives him a new name, a prophetic name. Your, your Bible may say Cephas. That's the Aramaic. That's more than likely the words that Jesus actually spoke. In uh, the Greek, it's Petra. In English, we say Peter, meaning a rock. So when Jesus looked at him, he saw Peter. He saw him for what he would become. And so you start to read this captivating account of this man's journey who Christ called him to be. And I think that it's significant that we take a moment and pause as we jump into this, really, that we recognize that Jesus doesn't just call us to follow. He calls us to become, to become who he created us to be. So when Jesus found Simon, and we're going to use this as an illustration this morning, when he found Simon... Simon was, he was brash, he was vacillating, he was undependable. He was one of those people who lunged wholeheartedly into something, but he usually bailed out before finishing. Uh, Oftentimes he was the first one in, and all too often he was also the first one out. In fact, when Jesus found him, he fit the description that you read of in the book of James of a a double-minded man who's unstable in all of his ways. That was really who Simon was. But God had created him to be Peter. And Peter was reliable and he was strong. He was consistent. He was merciful. God had created him to be a solid leader who was filled with integrity. He was patient. He had self-control. And so we, we have this obvious situation here then that, that begs the question, what went wrong? What went wrong? If this was who God created him to be, why was Simon over here? What happened? Well, Scripture describes a battle. And it's a battle between how our flesh develops and the way that God created us. And Scripture uh, often refers to this as an old nature and a new nature. And so you read in Galatians 5.17 that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and these two are in conflict with each other. And there's something interesting that you read, that you recognize in this story of Peter is that sometimes Jesus still referred to him as Simon. And why was that? When you see that in Scripture and you read that, it's often a signal that Simon has been acting like his old self. How many of you parents have ever dropped your kid's middle name and your kid knew immediately that they had done something wrong? That happens all the time, doesn't it? So it it appears that Jesus changed Simon's name in part because he wanted it to be a constant reminder of who God had called him to be. So every time that he, he um, whatever Jesus called him, it kind of sent a subtle message. Sometimes he called him Simon. Sometimes he called him Peter. And then apparently another one of the disciples named John was, was close to Simon Peter. Um, in fact, they were very close. They were lifelong friends. They were business associates and neighbors. And so in his gospel, John refers to his friend at least 15 times as Simon Peter. Apparently, John couldn't make up his mind as to which name to use. 
because he constantly saw both sides of his friend. So we have this man who is sometimes Simon, he's sometimes Peter, oftentimes he's Simon Peter. And he becomes a very visible example for us of the struggle between two natures that Scripture talks about. The things that we have done in the past and in the flesh to develop our old nature, it draws us to this chair. And who God has called us to be and created us, it draws us to this chair. And again, Scripture says they're contrary to one another. They're always fighting against each other. And boy, don't we feel it sometimes, that inner struggle. It wasn't long after I'd given my heart to the Lord uh, in college that I was, on a, uh, I was on a trip with our basketball team and we're driving and God had just done some, some great things in my life of, of calling me to this new life. And so I'm on this bus and I, uh, I'm going to be traveling for a couple of days and I think this is a great opportunity for me to start reading the word of God and I bring my Bible with me. And so if you can picture this, I'm sitting on the bus reading God's holy words, holding it in front of me, and one of my friends, teammates, turns around and he said, you reading the Bible? And I remember in that moment that what, was, what I was thinking in my mind was not what was coming out of my mouth. And I don't know if you guys have ever had that happen before, but in that moment, I recognized that there was some kind of a battle happening inside of me between the old and the new. And so again, I'm holding this Bible, reading God's word, and I look up at this guy and I say, why don't you mind your own darn business? And I realized in that moment, wow, something is at war inside of me. Because though God had called me to this new life, I was still very much sitting in this old chair. And there was this, this struggle. In fact, you can hear the frustration in Paul when he writes in Romans chapter 7, a very familiar verse, that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Who can rescue me from this misery? So what, what does God need to rescue Simon from? What is it that he's wanting to reshape in Peter's life? What's this new chair look like, this new life look like? And it's important because it's the kind of life that God's calling you and I to. And so this morning, I'd like to look at three key areas that God needed to reshape in Simon Peter, and he wants to see in us as well. So let's take a moment and look at these. Number one is a life that is submitted. Simon was raw. I mean, he had not let God shape his personality, had not let God shape his tendencies yet. So he had all of this zeal and all of this passion, and yet he lacked humility and submission. And so you read in Matthew chapter 16, verses 22 and 23, Jesus had just told the disciples that he was going to be delivered into the hands of the religious leaders to be killed. And scripture says this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
And Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, Peter's issue was that he was not submitted to God's way. He was focused on how he wanted things to happen. And Jesus said, this kind of thinking allows Satan to cause many people to stumble. When you begin to um, exalt your will over the will of the Lord, when God's will, when you're not submitted to God's will, you want your way. And I think we've all known a few Simons in our day, zeal without submission. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans 10. When he talks about the Israelites who are zealous for God, but not submitted to his ways. I think one of the biggest issues here that we all probably recognize, but none of us really like to admit, is that by human nature, we all want to be the boss. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. We like our own way, don't we? You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> we like our own way. I know it. I know it. But we want to be in charge, but God created us to be his children. My daughter Addison looks for just about every opportunity that she can find to be in charge. Um, she's, she's got some of the natural traits of a firstborn, and so she likes to, you know, she, she likes to be the boss. Um, when she was turning nine years old, I, I, <laughs> I told her already that I was going to tell this story. So um, when she was turning nine years old, we had a birthday party for her, and we'd invited all of her friends. And so all of her friends are here, and she sees all of her friends, and she, she realizes that they're all there for her. And she sees this opportunity to be the boss. And so she kind of steps forward and she says, here's how it's going to go today. You guys are going to light the cake and then you're going to sing to me. And then I'm going to open all these presents and then we're going to eat some cake. And my wife had to go over and just kind of gently pull her to the side and say, Addison, you're not the boss. Stop acting like mommy and be a kid just enjoy being a kid and i think that that god has to continually pull you and i to the side and say quit trying to be the boss you're my child just enjoy being my child he created us to be his children and scripture tells us that He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That means he's the one who's writing the story. He's the one who's going to bring it to completion. And both the Old and the New Testament tell us that we're to submit our lives to him because it will go well for us. It's good for you and I. But we have a hard time with that. Simon had a hard time with that. But Eventually, Peter learned this, and I think uh, that word eventually is so valuable to all of us. All of us, let me say, all of us like myself, who sometimes God has to continually repeat and echo things in my life 
because I don't get it the first time, but eventually, eventually, God breaks through. And, and God eventually broke through in Peter's life, and he learned the submission to God. In fact, in one of his later writings, he encouraged the church to no longer live the rest of their life satisfying the flesh, but rather submitted to the will of God. It was 1 Peter 4, 2. I think it's, it's so healthy for all of us to recognize that God loves it when we come to him raw. I mean, he, he takes us just as we are, but he cannot do his work in us until we have submitted to him. And it was the first lesson that Peter needed to learn, and it's the first lesson that you and I need to be able to live out in our life as well. The second thing that Jesus was calling Peter to was a life that was selfless. Now, a selfless life doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. You can be confident and selfless at the same time, but Simon had not grasped this yet. And in one, uh, in one instance, Jesus caught him along with the other disciples, and they were all arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. They were caught up in themselves. They were self-centered instead of selfless. And Jesus' words to them were that the greatest in the kingdom is actually going to be the servant of all, the one who is focused on others rather than himself. And Simon needed to learn what it meant to be selfless. The great thing about serving Jesus is that not only does he teach, but he models the things that he is teaching us. And Jesus modeled this so beautifully in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, when he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Peter may have been a slow learner, but he did learn this lesson. In fact, he learned it so much so that later he wrote in 1 Peter 1.14, he said, as submitted children... Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your selfish desires. And Peter became one of the greatest examples in the New Testament of a servant heart, a selfless man of God. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's uh, speaking to the church at Philippi, and he reiterates this very point, and he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. It was a selfless life. And finally, the Lord wanted to see Peter develop a life that was steadfast. Simon was unreliable, and at best, you could probably say that he was inconsistent. I mean, you certainly could not count on what the guy was going to say or do. And many of you guys know people like that, and you might be sitting beside people like that, and they may be elbowing you right now. You know what it's like to be inconsistent. Simon was unreliable. 
but God was calling him to become steadfast. And there's this great, uh, there's this great example. There's so many examples of this in, in Peter's life, but one of them that we'll look at today, Jesus, he's kind of in the context of his impending death. He made what would have been a very discouraging statement to his disciples that day. So if you can, if you can kind of feel the weight of this, these men had been following not just this leader, but the Messiah for a couple of years now. They, they have left everything to follow him. And Jesus said, on this night, you will all abandon me. Could you imagine the weight of that? What that felt like for those disciples? Are you kidding me? We're going to, well, Peter stood up. Peter was always standing up. He was always standing up and engaging his mouth. And Peter stood up and he swore, even if all the other disciples leave you, Jesus, I will never. You can count on me. But Simon did abandon Jesus. And, and worse yet, he denied even knowing him. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, Simon had proved that he was not yet the reliable rock that Jesus had called him to be. So this steadfastness, it's not just an attribute of God. It, it totally is. You can read so many times throughout Scripture these beautiful um, Beautiful phrases that we even sing choruses about. The steadfast love of the, of the Lord never ceases. It's not just a beautiful attribute of the Lord, but it's also something that Scripture identifies as a quality that God wants to reproduce in us. He wants us to become steadfast. And so Simon... He's exactly like most people. He's both worldly and spiritual. He gave in to the habits of the flesh sometimes. He functioned in the spirit other times. He was a vacillating man, just like many people in this room struggling with the old and the new. And maybe some of you guys, you, you have faced discouragement before. You, the feeling that you're always going to end up back in this old chair, no matter how hard you try, that you know that there's this old nature that's constantly pulling, constantly pulling, trying to, to draw you back. And it causes discouragement. I mean, you think about Simon and the fact that he fell back into the old way so many times. In fact, after his betrayal of Jesus and then the crucifixion, Scripture tells us that Peter just checked it in and he went back to fishing. He just checked it all in and he just said, I'm going back to fishing. And maybe you guys have been there before where you get discouraged because you, you want to be in this chair and the old nature is constantly pulling on you and you, you feel like you failed before and you just sometimes you feel like you just want to check it all in and forget it, go back to fishing. What's important for us to, to recognize, I think, that in the midst of that hopeless feeling at times, that we have a God of hope who will see us through. He's faithful, and he will not leave you there. He'll see you through. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. And in fact, this beautiful story after the resurrection where Jesus meets with Simon Peter on the shore. And the purpose of this meeting 
was to be able to break off the discouragement, break off the hopelessness, and reinstate this calling to become Peter in his life. Peter needed it. He needed it so desperately. I mean, think about the the gravity of what he had just done, denying his Lord three times, completely abandoning him, what he had to have felt in that moment. I think you sense this. You you actually start to to, um, feel it when when Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.10, this powerful passage. He said, And the God of all grace... Peter had just become the recipient of probably one of the greatest downloads of grace in history. And he's saying, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, and listen to this, he said, will himself restore you. And he will make you strong and firm and steadfast. Isn't that beautiful? And you start to just feel his personal story in that statement remembering what he had done, but recognizing the, the grace of Jesus, of, of uh, his calling and kind of restoring that calling to become Peter, the rock. So our question here that we really need to answer before we're done today is how did God empower Peter to ultimately win this battle and leave behind the old and embrace the new? The book of Galatians provides the answer for us. The apostle Paul, who himself, if you remember, had been transformed from Saul into Paul, he wrote about the power of life in the Spirit, surrendering to the Holy Spirit and his work inside of you. We must walk in the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing else will do. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Living with him day by day changes who we are. It changes what we do. When God's spirit connects with our spirit, it changes our mind, it changes our motives to the point where who we used to be is such a distant memory of who we are now and who we've become, that the the New Testament church explained this transformation this way. The old life has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I think it's significant again that we take a moment and we recognize Jesus doesn't just call us to become, but he empowers us to do so by his spirit. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will take the very nature of God and place it inside of us. It's like this this infusion of supernatural life that will transform us. And we see that happen in Peter's life personally in Acts chapter 2 when the scripture says that he along with all the other disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and it says it was Peter, not Simon, it was Peter who stood that day and he preached to thousands who were saved. And it's the name Peter that we hear throughout the book of Acts and sharing the message of Jesus Christ and with boldness and compassion. In fact, Simon he, he, was was 
it was like you, you don't even hardly hear the name Simon through the rest of the New Testament. We hear almost nothing of him anymore because he has become what Christ saw in him from the very beginning. He's become Peter. And so as, as, we, as we wrap up today, what we have in front of us is a chair that represents Simon, a chair that represents Peter, and the recognition that most often you and I are caught living between the chairs somewhere. Sometimes Simon, sometimes Peter, and probably most easily labeled by the people that know us best as Simon Peter. And perhaps today, you're in a place where you're just saying, I'm ready to give up the life between the chairs. I, I don't want to be this Simon Peter. I don't want to be this vacillating person who's back and forth. What I want most is to be completely through with the old life. I want to be completely present and doing what God has called me to do. Just like Peter, I think it's important for us to recognize that God often finds us in one place and calls us to another. He loves us just how he finds us, but he loves us so much that he refuses to leave us there. And so he calls us to this other chair, this other life, and <clears throat> he's more concerned with your direction than he is your perfection. Did you hear that? He's more concerned with you <clears throat> pursuing this and becoming more and more like his son Jesus than perfection. And today, before as, as we close up here, I just want to give an opportunity for anybody who's just ready to say, I'm done living a life between the chairs. I want to engage fully in what God has created me to be. And I'm going to ask if you guys would just take a moment here and, and if you would close your eyes, bow your heads, and I'm just going to I close with a prayer and then one more scripture verse, and we'll be done this morning. But if you would kind of just join me as we pray and, and close this morning. Lord, we thank you for loving us right now, just as we are. We thank you, though, Lord, that you love us so much that you refuse to leave us there, that you and your desire is to see us continually um, shaped and molded into the image of your son, Jesus. And God, that's our desire today, that we would be faithful in that pursuit. And so, God, we ask that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to be able to leave the old life completely, that we would be able to submit to your will, that we would live a selfless life and God, that you would be able to um, just shape us the way that you desire. And so God, we, we commit this to you right now. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul wraps up the book of Philippians with a, a beautiful passage. And I'm going to read that for our closing today. This is Philippians chapter 3. Verse 10, it says, For my determined purpose is not that I have a one-time encounter with Christ, but that I may daily 
become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Learning and understanding the wonders of who he is more strongly and more clearly. And that I may come to know the power of his spirit that flows out from his resurrection and contains the power to transform me into his likeness. God bless you all. Amen.